right, welcome everybody to another installment of Innovation Crush. Hi, we have a studio audience today. How's that, how's that feel to have a, a studio audience here? With oh, you? privilege, privilege. <laughs> we'll get a little closer to the mic so I can, uh, I can I'm like an old woman sometimes with my hearing. Um, but in case you guys are tuning in for the first time, uh, I hope not. But uh, if you are, uh, this show covers all things marketing, innovation, ideas. Um, and today we're going to get into a little bit of science with the, the good doctor, the good doctor, Andy Walsh. Hello. Uh, Hi, good night, mate. How are you? I'm fine. How are you doing? Good, good. Um, I, I love your accent, first of all. Um, and I noticed in a lot of the content behind your work, there's always an Aussie featured in there somewhere. So uh, we'll get into the bias of that later. All right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess for introductory purposes, uh, kind of tell the people who you are. Give us, give us the 101 on, on Andy Walsh. Uh, the 101. Uh, well, currently my role is the high performance director for Red Bull. Um, it's a great sort of program that we've created uh, about seven years ago, which was designed very simply to take the great talent we have within the organization, help them improve, help them fulfill the dreams, sort of push the limits of what they're trying to do, but at the same time, learn from them. So it started, my career started in professional sports and Olympic sports movements and sort of helping that talent in an athletic sense. But coming to Red Bull, it really uh, grew into this sort of broader description or understanding of what it really takes great people to do, what take, what, what it, what we should be able to learn from people who are doing great things and how we can help with that. Right. What have you learned so far? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you're like, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah, no, no it's a lot. It's let, a lot. Before we get into that, like yeah. your your background, right? Like, yeah. where where does this uh, where where did you hail from? Where does your uh, interest in this whole you know arena? Yeah, the from? arena started probably when I finished school. I, pl- I played sport in Australia, uh, you know, the traditional things, a lot of surfing and life saving as well in there, and I wasn't good enough to go anywhere with that. So uh, I got into the coaching side. So I did a, my sort of undergraduate program in a university of Sydney in human movement, which was, you know, one of the paths from that was to become a professional coach or a PE teacher at school. Uh, I did that for a few years, but realized- I would love to have you as my gym teacher. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe yeah. not back then. <laughs> <laughs> I think I could totally do a better job now than I was then. Uh, but it really, uh, it grew from that. I just, I love sport. I love helping, you know, people get better in that space and got connected really by just sheer luck with some people at the sort of top of their game, a professional windsurfer at the time, some right. rugby players down there, et cetera, et cetera. And it just grew, just naturally grew that I was spending more time with elite talent, elite athletes back then. The Australian community was really sport-centric and we'd we'd had our butts handed to us in the, in the Munich Games and we'd performed really poorly. So the government nationalised a lot of the elite sporting programs. Oh, wow. So I was kind of... Getting my degree in that space at the same time, the, the sort of national objective was to really do really well at the next Olympics that we were going to host, which was Sydney in 2000. And all that sort of came together. So I was sort of studying, learning and participating in sort of uh, in the coaching programs and also started to blend into the science of sport and the real understanding of what it takes to make people better in a right. technical perspective. And that, as I said, that got me connected into all the programs in Australia, summer and winter. Winner program got me traveling into the Europe, working with elite right. talent, like all three of them that we had in Australia at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then that led to, uh, I, I just bounced around and got connected to the US Olympic winner program. And then they recruited me in 99, brought me over to work for the, set up the human performance program for the US ski and snowboard team. And you never left. Never left. Uh, nice. Um, uh, so how did the relationship with Red Bull come, come about? And thank you so much, by the way. This uh, We have some 
Cassandra, you're going to have to help me drink some of these because uh, I told him I would drink all of them uh, on a dare. But these are all the new uh, Red Bull flavors. Yellow, cherry edition, and uh, 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 this is not a plug, by the way. I'm just I'm just, <laughs> just pure me being nosy and tropical orange. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crack open this one. Perfect, man. You enjoy it. Are you going to have one? <laughs> um, cheers. Cheers. Ah. Uh. <sighs> No, so how did that relationship um, come about with Red Bull? How did they get wind of you or vice versa? And You know, no one ever really told me, but I think at the time we sort of bring it back together. Uh, and, uh, an Aussie guy I was training in Australia for the uh, mogul team down there was the head of marketing here now in Los Angeles for Red Bull North America. And at the same time, one of our athletes in the on the Olympic team, you know, Darren Ralves at the time, was also mm. a Red Bull athlete. And I think those two got talking one night and next thing you know, I, I got a call and they said, hey, we'd love you to do what you've done over here but break it up, bring in all the action sports community, bring in all the talent we have at Red Bull, which extends beyond sport, right. musicians, artists, et cetera, et cetera, and grow that thing out of that. And to me it was really appealing because as much as we can learn from the – the, the sort of professional sporting side, the Olympic sporting side, right. that community. This was a bunch of talent, action sports athletes specifically, that had never had any formal coaching support, et cetera, et cetera, right. for the most part. But they were already still performing really at high levels. So I thought, what a unique opportunity to learn from this group as much as we'd learned from the others. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's, yeah. that's, that's, that's really fantastic. So, uh, and then also... I think when you talk about expanding the network of talent, right, you know, a lot of the experiences and experiments you put together involve people not in sports whatsoever, right? You know, um, for instance, let's walk through one uh, where (laughs) you you drop these athletes off on a mountain with a couple of Navy SEALs. Uh, I'm not going to botch this story, but I I would love for you to just kind of walk us through it. Um, (laughs) And as as, uh, one of the videos I saw is like, Andy told me to see if we can get these guys to toughen the fuck up. And that was, that was the experiment. And it was like, oh, here's your brief. One line on an index card. That, w- that was the working title. And then we finally came up with a slightly more clever name, which was Acheron, and that's the project that it morphed into, which was we, w- we learned very quickly that to really get these top talents to really go beyond taking them outside of their every day, taking them outside of their sports or outside of the fields that they were proficient in and dropping them into what we term loosely the unknown, giving them a chance to just be present, practice, dealing with things as they come with no sort of forewarning was an extraordinary way to teach them the sort of skills that we thought were critical to elite performance. And that was one key one was being present, being in the moment, understanding how to deal and react with what you're facing now, Right. not think, wow, this could have turned out badly or push it into the future and sort of have that anxiety around the conversation. So we we framed it up. We put them in a – they were athletes, so we put them in a physical environment, tough, but also uh, very unknown. We took them – they were all surfers. We took them into the wild to Patagonia and Chile. It was cold. Uh, The experience, obviously, a lack of sleep and sort of moving – through the environment, right. and and it really did work out to show uh, in, in a profound way. They first and foremost, they had a great experience. They all reflected on it as having a huge impact in their careers. Sure. At the same time, we backed it in with some fairly staggering science with respect to looking at the function of the brain pre and post the mm-hmm. event. And we partnered with UCSD and the uh, the community down there, Martin Polis, Dr. Martin Polis, 
And we did that and we showed that as a consequence of that sort of rigorous training, sure. the challenges we put in front of them and the experience, the brain shifted towards a profile for the brain that's uh, more resilient, more better, able to tolerate stress, uh, something we observe in the high performers. Sure. The SEALs and that community we brought in uh, were obviously there for a number of reasons, but most importantly, they're selected, <laughs> trained, and their whole life is around right. dealing with the unexpected. Oh, that, that guy looked like he was unfazed. <laughs> like, he, like when you watch the video, he's like, uh-huh, you guys okay? Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. And everybody else exactly. is like getting taped up, and they're like yeah. a couple of people got lifted out, right? Um, yeah, one guy got lifted out. And, and that's it. We wanted someone who would really take care of them. Right. And that's what they're great at. They yeah. know. They've been there. They've done it. They're not going to freak out. Yeah. Hell, we're all going to die at any point. They keep it on top on it. So. Well, it's interesting because, you know, you, you talk about like that it's safety mechanism, right? It, <laughs> it, at least I feel safe, right? Me getting lost in Patagonia by myself is a little bit, it, it, it does, it can help me if I survive it, right? In terms of how I approach life later. Mm-hmm. Um, but having the, you know, sort of a guide there and having, and knowing that there's conditions, um, I would, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is around experiment design, mm-hmm. right? Because a lot, like a lot of them are, you know, these ex- experiences push limits, right? Where, you know, there's one where you manage to turn off a function of the brain for that signals muscle fatigue and like, that could be like if you tell me you're going to do that to me, I'm 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 not I don't know if I'm going to volunteer to, to let the uh, so like how do you how do you know the limits by which you will go and push someone just for you know for the sake of the you know the experience versus you know and what would like you know what would the next iteration be of taking these guys out and you know if I've already done the Patagonia experience then what's going to be next for me so like how do you go about designing you know something that's um, both stretches the limits but also is safe and and yeah it's a a great question because you know the brain the body it only adapts when it's on the edge when it's being challenged the trick with these elite performers especially in some of the fields we play in is that their their performances are in in environments where a mistake can mean you know literally life or death so we have to frame up the whole experience in such a way that the perception of risk for them in in the middle of it is really really high like pushing them beyond Hence, one of the reasons we take them out of something they're used to or good at. Right. Because it's easier to craft that. At the same time, having in the background where they're not aware of it, this whole series of safeties and checks and balances that uh, we can you know, pull and, pull on the cord if we have to and get them out of there so that no one really gets hurt. But that's, a, that's the toughest part about those experiences because we know if we've learned from these athletes, you create the right environment around someone. Right. Just the right environment. You don't need to talk. You don't need to say anything. Just give them the feedback and the timing. Right. If the system does it itself, they will move. They will change. And we yeah. learned that, you know, it came from Michael Douglas's movie, The Game. You ever, ever oh, seen yeah. Anything? Yeah. That experience moved him. Yeah. And that's, in terms of experimental design, crafting a powerful experience. Right. That unwittingly in many cases uh, it moves you along a path or a trajectory in a supportive way, not just a challenging way, but a, a challenge plus the support right. can shift you. A very ungentle push. Like yeah, you're ungentle, pushing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and again, but keep in mind, we just finished one, just completed the second round with four young women. We took them to the uh, northwest shelf of Australia, to the desert up there, and tried to drop them in there, and they had to move through, and uh, it's powerful. It's just right. And they're all still talking about it as one of the great experiences of their life. So it's, it's uh, fun to do. It's really fun to be part of. These things don't sound cheap. No, they're not. <laughs> so, so how do like it just it kind of backing into the business? You may or may not know this, but like 
Uh, how does a brand like Red Bull justify the expense of these types of challenges? Well, to be, to be perfectly honest, they, they look a lot more extravagant than they are because we use the people to keep it very, very grassroots. But the fundamental premise of what we do is giving wings to people, helping people perform at a level beyond what they can ex- expect, especially in the athletic group, and framing up this experience to give them not only the opportunity to test themselves but take that learning and improve within the field that they're practicing in really right. makes sense because as a brand we want we want to you know give wings to their ideas help them right. move their dreams if we let them just do it on their own some of these dreams are inherently risky we you know there's there's a pre quo pre pro quo to that whole thing and we have to for us, it, it, I think it just fundamentally makes sense as a brand to support them in that journey versus just letting them do it. No, I find, you know, I find like a lot of brands will talk the talk but not necessarily walk the walk, right? Like mm-hmm. it's like, oh, we love this area of life and they'll, they'll only go so far, right? And mm-hmm. I, I think it, the fact when you talk about giving the athletes wings, it's also giving the, the company <laughs> wings yeah. and like you know, they're taking flight and, and doing a lot more of, of what they uh, are pushing potential of what, of what a business is. Yeah. Um, so, uh, give us an example of like how long it takes you to design some of these experiences, right? Because you know, like, do you have something that's like a three year plan, or is this like, oh, this, we should do this one next Tuesday? <laughs> well, we have both. Okay, we have some very tactical things that we can roll out very quickly. We can, and a person can come in whatever field they're in, and we can say, hey, we want to help X, Y, and Z, and we can just roll it out, you know, plug and play. The bigger, the more sophisticated programs like Acheron, right? Uh, we really do craft, and there's a minimum of about a year lead time. Wow. And in some type cases, the idea can start two to three years out. And uh, even thinking like a Stratos, that was a seven-year program, you know, so. It was seven years. Seven wow. years uh, uh, start to finish. So that's, I think people don't realize they sort of see the final outcome and they go, wow, that was um, – yeah, oh, wow, these guys just pulled off something amazing. They don't realize that the back end of that really, in, in many cases, takes a lot of time. So um, this idea of giving your athletes and participants, I would even say that because it's, yeah. it's so so broad, uh, wings, what are some of the the results that happen out? So like maybe some hard examples of like have times in, in, in or decreased? Uh, uh, like what are some of the tangible results that have come from going through some of the uh, Andy Walsh Torture chambers. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's sometimes what they call it. I, I think as a well as a team, think about it, we've got we've got nutritionists, we've got psychologists, we've got technologists, yeah, sports scientists, uh, spiritual advisors. Um, the complex nature of what it takes to win or be at the top of your game means some things are very tangible. Sometimes we make them a little stronger, they run a little faster, and then at the next World Championships or next Olympics, they they perform, they win the medals. Right. Uh, uh, things like um, some of the more subtle things like these bigger shifts, like the stuff we talked about at Acheron, those things take, we sort of track the results about a year after. And we, okay. look at, we, don't, we don't just look at performance in the in the actual sport either. For something comprehensive like that, we reflect on, we have the, we'll have the participant reflect on their life, their life skills, what's changed outside of the field of play as much as what's changed in, in the field of play. That becomes a lot more qualitative. Right. Ultimately, um, you know, the, the winning and losing is the, the most important piece for yeah. these people. But in many cases, it's the tangential pieces that improve that we get the best feedback on. Yeah. Say, wow, I I improved a little, but this experience shifted my whole perspective and maybe it added two or three more years to their career. Maybe it helped them sort of understand sort of more about their responsibilities as a leader in this field. Yeah. 
and then they start to go on and maybe there's some part of that giving back. Yeah, which is what we try and encourage. It. Well, you know, there, yeah, there was a video from uh, and the event that you guys do. I think it's the second year running or the, coming up on the third uh, uh, glimpses. Yep. And, um, you know, there was this there were two things that kind of resonated with me. One was uh, I forget the guy's name, but he um, he's a snowboarder, very shy guy. And he was in the Cirque du Soleil like performance program. And he talks about like how he was able to come out of that shell a little bit. And here's somebody when you I think as a consumer, right? Uh, when I look at an athlete, I, I assume that they're used to being in the public eye. They're comfortable. They're fine. But um, there's this isolation that happens. I think when you are in a high performance arena, you don't, you're not thinking about that. So now when you're put in a position where you kind of have to perform in a different capacity, um, you're, it's, your growth pattern is a little bit different. So yeah, I like the, the whole behavioral side of, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. of the growth pattern here. Um, you guys also work with a lot of uh, corporate leaders and things like that. Um, kind of just talk about how you apply some of the science you learn from these athletes into more non-physical, you know, physically taxing mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. environments. Yeah. So I think the, uh, the sort of approach is like a melting pot. We, we, we now for years have been working with business leaders, some military groups, uh, uh, definitely the athletic populations and the arts and music groups. And it's really interesting at the top, they all seem to have a very similar conversation about what what the challenges that are facing them, also the solutions. So, you know, I think one of the keys to the sort of cross-fertilization of this information is the fact that if a business person comes in or we speak at a conference, a business leaders conference, they've heard a lot. They've gone to business school, they've been right. studying business, they and they know pretty much everything there is to know. When you position sometimes very much the same conversation, but from a different perspective. Right. To me, it's a, a fundamentally simply simple as they ears prick up again. It's yeah. a fresh perspective. They they pay attention to that world class athlete in the room talking about overcoming nerves, overcoming fear, perhaps, or what it takes in terms of persistence and resiliency to perform at the top. And they go, great, that's great. It's just what I wanted to hear, but. And if I think about it, they've probably heard it a thousand, thousand times, times yeah. before. So I think there's a lot of that. No, and also I think the, the, there's a sort of a there's a kindred spirit of people who are really pushing that next level. They, When you get in a room with a world-class musician, world-class athlete, a world-class business person, and you just let them go. Right. You just listen to the thing evolve itself and they're sharing stories, battles, techniques, tactics. Yeah. It's, it's really fun. And many times we just get out of the way. Nice. Yeah. Um, and speaking of like hearing the same message a thousand times, right? Like, you know, we all hear of what our potential is, what our capacity is. You know, there's a great Marianne Williamson quote, which is one of my favorite ones. Like, who are you to not claim your greatness kind of thing? Sorry, Marianne. I just quote, botched your entire thing. Um, but no, it's, it, how, how does you get people together in this room or get people together in this experience? How do you maintain that heightened sense of awareness that you get when, like, if you're in a room full of, like, really high-performing individuals, yes, that's great, but then I'm going to the grocery store, I'm going back to work, and, you know, and I I face a challenge a lot where I go to Summit Series or I go to Hatch, which is a festival in in Montana, and there's 100 invitees only, and, like, we all have this amazing time, and I'm like, I want to take this feeling with me, and I want to keep, like, I want to operate up here. Um, How do how do you guys go about extending that, you know, that, that feeling and that, that ability to perform mentally? And- I, I, it's tough. I think if, if working day to day with these individuals, it, it it's important that they, uh, you know, feel like there's more to come. That's the first piece. So when we model a particular field, 
we build these what we call performance models around what it takes to be a great broadcaster, perhaps. But we bring. Oh, I don't know why you looked at me. Yeah, be, best in class behavior. <laughs> yeah, but we build that model based on what does it take to be a great broadcaster, what is, and and what are those inherent skills that you require, and who's best in class in those skills. So we create almost a future model of what it it's looks the future broadcaster is going to look like. So even right. if you're best okay. in the world which is a lot of the times the groups we work with. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We want you to know there's so much more. Right. So that's the first part about it. I think like everybody, there's the day-to-day grind. You've got to want to love this. You're going to have to be passionate about achieving this because no matter what, for for the people we work with, it's as much as it it is for all of us. It's it's the finding the inherent internal motivation to get up and just do the job and push and push and continue to try and self-improvement. Uh, and, and I think that part of it really, uh, there's no real trick to that. I think if you don't have that, it, 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 we can help support it. We can help put milestones, benchmarks, bit of science to support it, maybe give you some uh, perspectives on that program or process that you've sure. never had before. But ultimately it's going to come back to you wanting it. So that, and right. that, that can be just tough. Well, a lot of, uh, you know, from what I've seen, a lot of what you do is, uh, and, uh, and what we've talked about is getting people outside of their comfort zones, mm-hmm. right? Like if I'm good at X, then, okay, then go try this, you know, go try cooking, <laughs> go to whatever, yeah. whatever it is. Um, you know, uh, why is it that m- most people, right, who are not high performance athletes get stuck in their comfort zone? I know it's like a cliche term, comfort mm-hmm. zone, mm-hmm. but I think everybody on some level wants to achieve at a higher level, right? Yeah. And, yeah. but there is this thing called the comfort zone, which is almost like the twilight zone. Like, Oh, yeah. you, should, you should do a Rod Serling uh, thing with the comfort zone. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, but why is it that we, you know, that some of us get, get stuck? Yeah. I think the comfort zone is overused, but I also think one of the things we do by pushing people a little bit beyond where they are comfortable is because we just want to know where the point of failure is. We want to know how much is left in the tank it's not about for this failure for the sake of failure. It's about, okay, if we push you, push you, push you, and you may have been operating at half of what you're capable of. Right. And then we suddenly realize this is the point. We work it back. But I think that by, you know, the inherent nature of why everyone stays there is it's comfortable. Right. It's, 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 a, it's a perfect term. And by stepping outside it, uncomfortable. And I think people use it, yeah, get out of your comfort zone. And they don't realize right. that when you are outside of that comfort zone, that it can be really miserable and it can be really tough and painful and horrible. And if you don't have some sort of framework or support system to help you understand that, you know, uh, right. you, you do it on your own. And I think that's that's one of the tricks is knowing that, yeah, outside of your comfort zone is going to be miserable and you're probably going to fail. Yeah. So, so, in fact, if you've pushed far enough, you will fail. It just goes with the territory. So preparing people for that conversation hmm is a real benchmark of what we're trying to do. Right. Yes, we want to bust you, but breaking someone's an easy thing to do. Right. Giving them the framework by which they can move beyond it, look over the edge, maybe drop off a little, go, wow, pull back and go, okay, what happened there? What did we learn about you? What did we learn about what you're about? What did we learn about what you need in terms of tools and techniques? Okay, let's, let's gear you up again. Let's prepare you and just see if we can just make that a little bit further next time. And I think when people start to get their heads around that, it's it's a lot easier. 
because yeah, failure sucks. <laughs> <laughs> failure does suck. But it, but it's also I mean once you I think you hit the nail on the head though once you realize it's kind of part of the process of achieving, mm-hmm. then it becomes a little bit more okay. It, it it may like I had a phone conversation on the way here and I go it was not a fun conversation for me to have, um, and uh, like I there Eckhart Tolle talks about like being the person that's having the experience and being the person that's observing you having the experience. Right. Mm-hmm, and so, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there's that whole piece of it where you go, all right, I'm going to be okay. And this moment will be okay. And, and not letting that become the debilitating moment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, in, to summarize it all, that, that idea that failure is a tool to show you how you're progressing and how right. you're moving and you are moving forward. Versus it's a consequence of a mistake, which right. is what's sort of driven into us from a very young age. And sometimes what we have to unlearn that, okay, if I, if, you know, and, and that's a great lesson I got from working in the very first couple of weeks with the action sports community. I went down, skateboarders were high on the list, went down, watched the park and I was just watching them crash and crash and right. crash and crash. And I was like, I haven't seen that amount of failure in sport in years. Right. You go to a professional That's preparing true. for the Super Bowl. They're not go out there and fail. Right. They're out there, do your job, do it this way for very good reason. But I thought, wow, what? A, and, and the way they laugh about it, in fact, the better you wreck and the more uh, extraordinary the crash or how the trick right. you try and win your crash, the bigger the cheers. <laughs> so they've turned That's this. Awesome. They've turned yeah, they yeah. And then you think about it. They've turned this idea that, you know, falling off a surfboard is just a, on a big wave is just a sort of stamp of uh, recognition versus – Oh my God, you've messed up. Don't ever do that again. Right, right. And that's how they learn. Hmm. And that's how the environment is such a good teacher. When you do push beyond what your limits are, the ocean or the mountain will kick you back pretty hard. Yeah, all right, I got to get better to get past that. And that's uh, that was one of the great lessons of working with the communities that associated with Red Bull in the first place, yeah. and it, it sort of reawakened a whole way of coaching that we well, had. So, yeah, I was going to say is that like uh, you when you look at more organized sports and team sports. Yes, there's it, it is very much programmatic and like this is the play, this is the thing where a lot of the athletes and I, th- and I think also life right is kind of like. It's an individual sport, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I'm writing that one down. Life is an individual sport. <laughs> um, no, so you, uh, you mentioned um, uh, something that you don't normally comp- uh, pair up with science, which is spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. How does uh, you, as a scientist, and you has I would imagine you're a spiritual person, or at least has some views in what mm-hmm. you do. How, like, how do you pair those two up? Because I, you know, I've seen stuff where you've mentioned the word metaphysical and things mm-hmm. like that. So, mm-hmm. um, how does that come into play in in the work that you do? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, and we're really just trying to crack that nut right now. Um, we've been taking care of a lot of the other areas of the program for the last few years, but. The spirituality piece, and we called it spirituality for that very reason. We didn't want to get caught up with the dogma of religion, right. you know. But we, we not you know, my Jesus, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but we thought about it. we thought about it. there's a wisdom to these ancient sort of uh, 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 studies, uh, spiritual studies. Like the, if you go back as far as you like, and and fundamentally, right now we're looking at all the world's great religions, and we're looking at all the sort of spiritual communities that are sort of, sort of prominent, and we're looking at fundamentally they're all saying a very similar thing. If you strip away all the rhetoric, it's like, hey, do good by yourself, do good by your people you work with or your neighbour. There's these fundamental messages, and we kind of refer to us as a core part of what we do is as those were the original human performance masters. The mm-hmm. performance for society before it got into where we are today was about, you know, together as a community for the very reason of food, shelter, safety, 
and those frameworks were designed to help do that. Right. You know, so in a, in an essence, they've been doing human performance management from the get go. I think it True. just got a little sidetracked. So for us, greater meaning to yourself and, and and about who you are was a core part of being great at what you do. Right. So we really th- lean heavily on the idea that you know sport or business or music is what you do. It isn't who you are. Right. And we can make you better as an understanding, hold the mirror up to you and give you a sense of what you're about and what's motivating to you and what's important to you. That will translate back across into what you do. Right. And that was a model we stole off the ancient sort of Eastern philosophies and religions, which were very much about it. You know, sitting under a waterfall and freezing as a, as a, as a method in the sort of Shaolin practice was, was more about understanding about who you were which then translated to better fighting skills. But better fighting skills right. were about understanding limits. Well, how, see, see, we brought it back. And like, how did like? Okay, let's go back to yeah. that waterfall example. Like, how does that tell me who I am? Right. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I've seen, I've seen and I, I studied martial arts. I also, you know, yeah. I also swam, uh, which failure in swimming is detrimental. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like, where, what, how does that, like, what is the mechanism by which that? <laughs> Well, I, more about well, I think I think it's different for everyone. That's the, the, the first part we learn. It's very individualized. Mm. But I think that that I mean, in many cases, that practice of discipline, that practice of uh, internal reflection, you're put under a situation like that where the, the, the outcome is that you can manage your internal thoughts and be uh, and sort of less bothered by what's externally happening to you. Uh, and, and by the way, the test is if you can do that cross-legged under a frozen waterfall for three hours. So right. see, it tells me a little bit about that you've probably got a good head about yourself in respect to uh, managing your internal conversation. Yeah. And so for us then that says what what can that mean to being better in life? What, and each person that's sort of gone through our sort of tougher, higher-level program seems to at some point reflect back on these sort of more philosophical tenets as a, as versus just practicing, practicing, practicing. That's awesome. Um, who trains you? Right, like you're you're at the apex of this whole idea of human performance and setting up conditions by which, you know, you push people to their limits or beyond, um, and you know. I think you also have to reinvent, uh, you know, every time you, you do it. How long have you been at Red Bull so far? About eight years now. So, eight, like, uh, what is year 10, 12? Like, how, you know, what? where are you going for your information, your inspiration, your... Yeah, you know? yeah, great. Yeah, well, of course, there's a great team behind us, and that's the that's the fundamental answer. Yeah. I've this you. You go yeah. ahead. Just yeah, no, no, team. no, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> but as a student of this, I, I, I draw more from the divergent communities that I sort of spend time with now. So if I, you know, I'm fascinated by, again, the spirituality conversation. So yeah. right now kind of getting together a core team of sort of spiritual leaders on very vastly different uh, disciplines and, and, and philosophies, but putting them in a room and just listening. And I, and from that I start to pick up things and threads that are very common across all the pieces we're doing. Uh, I stay, uh, uh, you know, for me just personally uh, – I have been the last couple of years looking for some mentorship, looking for things. It's just such a crazy space we're in that it's hard to kind of get people to focus in on what we're doing when they're doing other things. But it's something that I think is really important and missing from my development right now. Uh, But I also feel like the more diverse the community you have around you and the more different perspectives you can bring to what you're trying to do, that that allows you to just basically steal and go, okay, that's going to work for me. But I think you've got to make those connections. You've got to be able to say, wow, 
what's relevant out of that group and what isn't irrelevant. But um, again, out of the sort of human potential conversation, yeah. there's a lot more to learn. So it's a it's a sort of yeah. I, I mean, I would imagine you're in an environment by which, like, because you're constantly in an, in you're constantly exchanging, right? And yeah. that, like, I, I'm kind of a, the the mindset, at least for me personally, that every conversation is a mentorship opportunity, you know, whether I'm receiving or giving, like, it's just like, I'm going to pick up something from a dialogue with someone. It's one of the reasons I love doing the show is because mm-hmm. I learn something every time. And I could like from an hour long conversation, I could, I, I apply at least one rule probably from every person wow. that, you know, that I've, and I'm also able to like regurgitate, like, you know, anecdotally other things that I've learned that may be relevant and, you know, depending on the conversation. So, um, and, and then, you know, a lot of, uh, what you do not only is just like the conditions of it, but there's the science and technology piece, right? There's yeah. this whole mm-hmm. science, uh, scientists go surfing, you yeah, know, and yeah, yeah. you know, I, I happen to run an innovations team for a fairly large media agency. And we are all like that one video had everything that we had looked at. It was like notch was in there. <laughs> there was retinal, you know, detection. Um, you know, how do you stay abreast on what's going to be new and relevant and that you're going to take a risk on or like yeah. work with and manipulate? I think well, part of that, that's the that's the wonderful thing about having such a diverse community. So right. in the technology space as well, I think the big picture for us is this is this these new technologies that allow us to look at yourself or look at a group of high performers in a way we've never been able to before, and not just look but learn and understand. This 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 nuts getting cracked hard, and the quantified self movement, the medical yes. movement, that all the investment in those worlds is driving. So we target, you know, to, you know, we work with different groups in those fields. We work with different uh, institutions, technical colleges, uh, uh, universities, and we, we we just literally have got our ears to the ground on that stuff. And uh, and it's kind of nice if we present uh, at, a, at a meeting like that or we get the opportunity to share what we're doing. A lot of them find us now too, which is right. a really nice place to be in. You know, they go, wow, I've got this new tech, this new thing. It's something, you know, measuring brain waves while someone's surfing perhaps. And then yes. we go, great, all right, let's, let's try it. And... We're very open. We're very agnostic to begin with, and we pretty much try everything. Of course, with that approach, a lot falls off because it does have to bring back around and have an impact for us. And we kind of have a model of either it helps us today or it helps the individual today. It'll help them in a couple of months or it might help them in three years. And we we obviously focus more on the short-term stuff because our programs are running with people who are trying to perform every day. But then we still have a, about 10, 15% of the stuff we're looking at, which comes into play maybe two or three years out, even five years. So sure. Play. Yeah. So when you, um, I, we talked a little bit about this earlier where, you know, there are a lot of non-athletes you encounter. Mm-hmm. And, um, what does, like, or have you per, performed any experiences or experiments with, you know, non-athletic performers? Yeah, yeah, for sure. We've had musicians. Artists, uh, recently we had a couple of training programs with the e-athletes, the gamers. Right. That's a big initiative for us. Yeah. And, and what's fascinating. Thumb push-ups. Yeah, <laughs> you reckon. <that's> <laughs> but again, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fantastic space because you look at what these guys and girls are doing on these keyboards and these games that they're playing. Right. And from, from you know, someone at our age, it's like, well, I can't even understand the pace at which the game is moving, the decisions they're right. making, the the inputs, the information they're sucking in and then they're actually reacting on and they've got two other, three other teammates on the program. And so we looked at this whole group and it, it was, and we realised we had to really up our sort of neurocognitive mm. understanding of what it takes to perform at high levels with a lot of decision making. And so through that process you realise that that conversation, making 
high-level decisions under a lot of pressure applies to every facet of pretty much any elite performer. And by ramping this program up and really getting deep with respect to understanding what's going on with this community, we actually translate back across to all our athletes and our artists and other groups. So those camps are this, this we ran several last year, we're running several more this year, and it's just right now it's just learning. What does it take to be world-class on the, in the gaming world? And it's fascinating to watch. And they, as I said, they're, they're, they're doing things that I think, you know, five, ten years ago would have thought humanly impossible. Right. It's just, it's, it's, no, it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, opening night at one of your events, um, I read that people wore all black and had to wear masks. <laughs> You've got 200 yeah. attendees. Yeah. Right. Um, and they're not allowed to like introduce themselves with the normal stuff that we introduce. Yeah, yeah. So kind of, kind of was that just walk us through that. Yeah. Yeah. So the bigger pictures, that's glimpses our annual human potential conference right. and all these diverse communities of elite performers. So, we realize that, you know, the the sort of typical turn up and just listen to people talk is great, you know, especially you get great people doing the talking. But uh, we want the community we work with to also experience what it's like to be a little bit out of the comfort zone, a little right. bit on the edge. And, again, it's hard to take that community. Of I love the class. smile on your face yeah, as you're yeah, telling yeah, the story. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, I get the nickname <laughs> the devil. Um, it's, um, <laughs> I, we thought about it and we just thought about this simple things that put people off. Right. Santa. And just at the opening sort of reception where everyone's polite and everyone says, hey, this is what I do and this is how long have you been doing it? And, you know, that sort of typical banter back and forth about what you're about. Right. And we thought, all right, if they wear a mask, it's just a little bit of sort of – a little bit of protection actually. They can hide behind it a little. Right. But more importantly, they can't talk about who they are or what they do. So what's that conversation going to be like? Yeah. And it was Awkward. I mean, it was, <laughs> I thought you could say it was amazing. It was awkward. It, it, it became amazing. Right. That first half hour, people were, people didn't know what to say. People conversations were stilted, and uh, I sat in on a group of four people. I'll never forget it. And they were they were just looking at each other, trying to figure out what the hell to say, <laughs> which just turned the whole thing about being a little on edge and about a conversation and presentations for the next day on that topic. It gave it something real. Quickly, though, a few people figured out. A few people started to invent personas. Right. And you could see the room switch, and it, it ultimately it turned into a, a huge ride of people pretending they were other people, and and, and and it went really, really well. But at first it was uh, it was good to see. And Did you funny. wear a mask or were you oh, yeah, like no, the master I, of ceremonies? And you I wore a mask, to... but they kind of could tell the accent. So <laughs> yeah. it was a giveaway. Yeah, no, no, uh, you, c- you can't fake an American accent. Uh, no, too. not a good one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like I can ask you questions all day, um, uh, but I'm going to uh, switch gears because you know the, the show is called Innovation Crush. You have, mm-hmm. Yeah, you, know, you guys know that, right? Yeah, right, right. yeah. You, you know why you're here. So. Uh, but no, uh, what what do you find? Because you've seen it all. You're one of the rare ones that's, that's seen a lot. Um, but what do you see in the world that you're sort of crushing on that you find like as a really cool innovation, maybe something like it could be, in your field of interest or not, like cuisine and maybe an educational movement. It can be something you actually work with on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, stuff I'm in the field we're working in, obviously that's where I'm most knowledgeable. Uh, the, the stuff around understanding the brain, the mind, the the, the personalized headsets that are giving people uh, some insight into what's going on between the ears, mm-hmm. that whole world of neurofeedback, neuro measurement, uh, yeah, some of the STEM stuff that's coming down the pipe, you know. The, right. Yeah, 
this stuff to me, I think, is going to crack open some doors that uh, yeah. people. It's just going to be. It's going to transform a lot of our understanding and our, a lot of our abilities to improve that side of a person's performance in yeah. a way we we can't even imagine. And I read recently there's about they were referencing this global movement to hacking the brain as kind of the, one of the next space mm-hmm. races. 50,000 researchers yeah. globally. So I think. The hard technology that an average person can get in their hands, which is coming, I think there's there's a couple of headsets now. I saw up in the valley recently, like Melon and yeah, there's and, Melons, yeah. there's uh, Versus Sense Labs, there's um, a company Halo who are working on a sort of transcranial stem system. I mean, these oh, things wow. are. I think these are going to be very real in the next. It'll be meta humans pretty soon. Well, that's the idea. Yeah. Uh, um, and does as this stuff becomes more consumerized, right? Like oh, I can go buy one for a couple hundred bucks and. Um, do we need someone like you to to translate the experience, you know, or is this a DIY thing, right? Can I go and, like, look at my own brainwaves and go, okay, cool, like, tomorrow I'm, I'm going to be amazing. <laughs> Hope, hopefully hopefully, some of the work we're doing is informing some of the conversations. But right. uh, I think I think the greatest learning, if we, if we look at the sort of tipping point we're on right now with respect to understanding human performance, technology is accelerating at this level and, and we're getting in the hands of, and that's doing things that we never were able to do before. There's an interconnectedness with us and sort of push through this sort of human um, uh, quantified self movement. People want to get better. There's this sort of growing sort of, and the opportunity to do it in a reasonable way is coming. But I think the biggest part is the global uh, data sets and populations that can we can now access. Right. So if we get a little bit of data from 10,000, 20,000, a million people, we can start to up-level this in ways that our stuff will always be very individualized, very highly specific to small groups. Right. And I think it gives you a sense of what's possible in some cases, but I think the, the, the big learning is going to come from the global communities getting behind it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what always happens too. I mean, you look at a, a book, right? You look at Chicken Soup for the Soul, yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. You go, all right, like some people are going to be able to apply all the principles and succeed, and some people may like have incremental successes, and some people may never see the light of day, but, you know, but no one's ever, or not ever, no one's ever, but, you know, you've got the person who's at the apex, the author who's probably lived the experience. I mean, even the backstory to... How he started that was like, oh, I had to see. He, forget, he almost forgot he had the thing there, and he yeah. was like, I'm trying to figure out how to make some money. Um, so, uh, no, that that's that's really interesting. Um, and that's a model we're using. We're trying to get as many people connected from as many different disciplines as possible at, who are all interested in this performance sort of framework and learn. Right. And the perspective from you, the, the and 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 the 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 athlete and the business leader and the musician, the artist, they're great because people are cracking at the top of the curve. But also ultimately, what about that individual whose own world is a human performance story? It's just not recognized. The mother of three, maybe right. holding down two jobs, trying to put food on the table. Yeah. That's a tough gig. <laughs> and the resilience and the and the and the it's poten- very true. and the potential uh, challenges that that person may have faced and overcome, we can all learn from. In fact, I could probably that lesson would be probably great. Some of our athletes that I can think of right now. <laughs> uh oh, yeah, put yeah. your job in trouble. Yeah, your, your whole next next uh, wave of experiments will be inner city families. Um, I grew up in Detroit. I didn't understand that very well. Um, and then uh, no, I think about there's a guy who's on the show uh, by the name of Chris Dancy who's been dubbed the most connected man in the world. Right, he's on the cover of Wired magazine. He has sensors on everything, and you know at CES the, this year, um, that was pretty much the 
the meat of the show or the thread of the show. There are sensors everywhere and data collection. Uh, and he talks a lot about what you're talking about is moving closer to that quantified self where, you know, I think there is a balance of like, sometimes there's too much information depending on the individual's personality or their, mm-hmm. you know, their, their quirks versus, all right, I'm going to take this information and use it in a very meaningful way. And he's like, he goes and speaks at Zen conferences because he's learned so much and applied it. Like he's like, you know, he had a sensor on his dog and um, <laughs> because the dog would get car sick all the time. And he's like, what's going on? And so um, he realized his, like the pressure he applied on his brakes was, you know, th- was the peaks of his dog's uh. sickness. So he's like, I became a better driver. I saved money on like replacing my brakes, you know, over time. And my dog's fine and my car is clean. So, <laughs> so there's, there's all those things. Yeah. Um, so uh, if you don't mind, complete this phrase for me. Yep. Uh, innovation to me is? Innovation to me is uh, exploration, like pushing the, pushing the limits. That's great. Yeah, that's how I think about because that's how we train. If I was to train people and say, hey, we want to get better at, you know, innovation for, you know, uh, whatever that term encompasses, I think you've got to give people that opportunity to learn what it takes to push beyond and the conversation we had earlier. Yeah. Handle, yeah, train them to handle because a lot of those mistakes are not going to. Well, I think, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's also, you know, I think you have a lot of um, roadway to, to work with <laughs> um, yeah. because yeah. – a lot of times I think the innovation conversation comes up around organizations or projects, or, but it's never about the people, right? It's never about innov- like personal innovation. Like, and, you know, I think that's where corporate, if you want to call it corporate innovation comes from is a diver- diverse set of individuals performing at, you know, peak levels. Right. Um, so I applaud you for no, getting back to the human yeah, part yeah. of it. Um, uh, how can people find you on the interwebs? Um, what's your home address? Yeah, I can that? give you my home address. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm actually very poor at the technology side and socially. Um, I mean, you know, obviously through the Red Bull platform, they can get hold of us, but also, you know, via the LinkedIn is where I sort of just hold up and some, post some of the more recent stuff we're doing. Um, but, yeah, that's usually the easiest way. All right. Uh, that was the the good doctor, Andy Walsh. Any, anything you guys want to add? Any, any questions from the... No? All right. Wait, just wave your hands in the air. like. <laughs> no, but everyone, thank you for listening. This has been another episode of Innovation Crush, and uh, I'm up, I got goosebumps. So uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you, guys. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleisinger. Schleisinger, I've been friends with her for 10 years. One of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to YouTube.com slash WaitForItComedy no need to wait for it anymore because it's here and it's funny and i love you a few days ago brooke tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments thumbs up brooke 
Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.